The dark and macabre have intrigued us for years, but are their bewitching powers waning? The old greats such as Poe, Lovecraft, and Hitchcock have long since passed into the void. The masters of the 1970s like James Herbert and George Romero are gone. Stephen King and John Carpenter are in their twilight years. So where does that leave the current state of horror? The future is bright and author Thomas Gloom hopes to unveil this truth by discussing the genre's past and present. Settle back, get comfortable, and remember to leave a light on as you enter into the gloom. There is something spellbinding about the horror genre. I've been absolutely fascinated by it from a young age. Yet, in a life that often can be full of so much real-life terror, many consider the love for horror to be either a miracle or a sin. Here's the truth. The genre of horror has always been ahead of its time, willing to touch on difficult and taboo topics, and it's often smarter than it's ever given credit for. There are a myriad of reasons why people can't get enough of it, and hopefully the following discussion can begin to hunt down some helpful answers. On today's episode of the Into the Gloom podcast, I'll be interviewing my spooky friend and fellow horror author, Marcus Hawk. Join us, dear listeners, as we nerd out about the genre we've come to love and respect. Marcus, welcome, sir. How are you doing today? I got chills from that intro. Let me tell you. <laughs> well, you know, literal chills. You know, you picked this topic, you picked this <laughs> theme, and I'll be honest, I, I can't be more excited about it because I, I'm just, I'm so in love with everything that has to do with horror, and I, I know that we're really just going to. Um, you know, scrape the surface, touch the tip of the iceberg here, yeah. but um, that's, that's the new title for the episode. Just the tip. Just <laughs> there we go. There we go. But I'm, I'm excited to see what we what we unearth here. And I know that everybody sort of they have different reasons for loving the genre. So I, I know that for me, it goes back to early in my childhood. So I want to just start off by asking you, what was your introduction to horror? Introduction. So I guess it depends on what you define as horror, but <clears throat> I, I mean, I remember from a very young age liking um, the Adams family. I know everybody I'm sure knows the Adams family, right? So mm -hmm. when I was in probably, I want to say kindergarten, but it might even be earlier than that, like preschool. So maybe around the age of five, I don't even know, but I would come home and there were two things that were kind of my jam. You know, there was Batman, the old Adam West Batman and the Adams family. And I just loved both of those things. And I still do to this day. So um, that was probably like the first thing that was, I know it's not quite horror, but you know, ultra or macabre or Gothic or whatever, you know, something, something other than like care. It, it definitely wasn't the care bears or, you know, the you know full house or anything like that it was uh it was it was dark they were weird they were you know there was there was hands walking around and lions descending the stairs and it was you know just that kind of thing so yeah it was from, spooky or yeah you, you could say horror adjacent 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was in the spook. I like spooky. It, 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 it encompasses a lot of things. So it was definitely of the spooky uh, uh, nature. So that now, do probably- you remember, like, did were there parts of the Adams family since you were so young that that actually did scare you or give you nightmares or creep you out? I don't think so, but <laughs> I, I do remember kind of like there was there was a, a plant that um, Morticia had that it was like she had because she had her um, her garden and or her greenhouse, whatever it was. And there was like this vine that would come out and try to, you know, suffocate guests <laughs> of the house uh. or, or try to strangle them, whatever it was. So, I mean, that was always something that I don't think I was scared, but I was always a little bit like. You know, if I ever saw a particularly hangy plant, <laughs> see this, I'm a writer. Did you know there's, that's a real word, <laughs> a hangy plant. Uh, <laughs> but if you saw that, you, you knew to be cautious. It came to mind. Yeah. So it was sort of like, I, I'm sure this isn't going to happen, but what if, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so. Um, then let me ask you this do you remember the first book or movie that did scare you that made you close the book or maybe gave you nightmares or or trepidation at, at once the sun went down it probably would have to be uh, scary stories to tell in the dark and it was less honestly less because of what was actually written in them and more because of those illustrations i'm sure yes. everybody remembers those illustrations i still i still can't look at them without kind of going like whoever thought of this and put them into children's books bravo and also what the hell's the matter with you yeah exactly oh, they are still they're so horrific i know that they recently a few years back they re-released it with new artwork and i know i, I don't know how everyone else feels and the art is great it's 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 good scary art but it is not as horrific as those original ones. And they were, they were nightmare inducing less the stories, more the, the pictures that accompanied them for me too. Yeah. I know. And that was, I, I, I was never, I mean, I feel like sometimes there's, there's an attempt for some reason to soften things like that for mm-hmm. a newer generation, which I'm sure people have their reasons, but I was never, I was never traumatized by that. I was never like, yeah you know, I wish that hadn't happened. No, I love that. I remember it years later. I liked when, when things like that would occur and, you know, yeah, it's somehow, somehow it becomes endearing rather than traumatic. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, if you, if you look back historically at, at the, you know, many of the Disney movies, they were, they were, fairy tales that they took and and sort of um whitewashed um uh well yeah what we know about walt disney that's actually the perfect usage of the word but i i mean sterilized maybe or uh, censored yeah and and but those original fairy tales and the folklore and the legends that were oftentimes cautional tales that people told their kids they were horrific and they were focused on death and and dismemberment and cannibalism and and stuff like that and so i do i think that it's it's a more recent development where we felt like we needed to tone things down a little bit for our kids yeah if you want if you want horror look look at the origins of things like sleeping beauty and snow white and 
the little uh, mermaid not even just the uh, fairy tales nursery rhymes you know we, do you know what ring around the rosie is about yeah yeah exactly a very <laughs> you know very dark yes absolutely but that's i i don't know like for so kind of what what the topic at hand is uh, about a little bit is why why do things like that appeal to us you know i mean they obviously they don't to everybody because there's still sort of a whatever you want to call it a, a a regard a lower regard for things like that or that people who like those sorts of things are you know crazy or well maybe we are who knows but <laughs> you know it's, that there's something that there's something to be to be cautious about around people like that or subjects like that or whatever and i've yeah. i've personally never felt that ever so yeah. when when i saw that that was the way that that gets regarded by some people it makes you feel kind of like well what's the matter with this or what's the matter with you or what is it right like what's the what is it yeah well you know if you look at maybe some of these um you know the the origins of different festivals like Samhain um or or you know uh, the day of the dead um they're very much it's 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 focus on death and the concept of death and maybe talking about an afterlife for those who have died and it it's sort of presented as a natural thing it's just it's part of the the circle of life i guess you could call it but i i think that nowadays there is such a a fear of death and such a an obsession with longevity and and continuing to go on and you know even keeping people alive you know you look at maybe even some of the more uh, politicized arguments about uh, about stuff like um, euthanasia mm-hmm. um, and and there's this this idea that death is something to be feared and that it's so bad when I think that for centuries and centuries, it was just sort of accepted as, um, you know, just daily just part, of part of how things were. It, it was your, your odds of, of dying were better than living. Like that's why there was, you know, an, an average uh, <laughs> a lifespan of 38 and, you know, yeah. people died in the streets and were, you know, starving and stuff that doesn't happen nowadays. So I think we kind of tend to recoil when anything that even kind of relates to that comes up so that could that's that's insightful actually i i I think that probably could be could be it yeah it's also i mean let's call a spade a spade here a lot of it is very stereotypically dark or ugly or you know whatever however you want to you know it's it's ultra right so i mean that doesn't appeal to everybody but then what does right so yeah i don't know i i i've never like i mean tim burton especially i love i love tim burton right so i mean i know that's not horror but it's definitely of a more uh, gothic bent so yes i um whenever i <laughs> i actually just last night i watched the corpse bride and i just thought it was kind of neat how the living world has has this very almost monochrome appearance right it, it's got like a, it, everything's in like grays and blacks and whites and then the land of the dead that they visit through the other half of the movie is very colorful and lively and things like that and i just thought that was a neat juxtaposition so i i don't know i tend to yeah it it, it feels like that a quite a bit to me is you know yeah where, 
the uh, the everyday world we see tends to sort of sap the color from it, whereas this other sort of darker thing we indulge in gives you elation and 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 joy. Yeah, For yeah. No, it was just wired different. <laughs> it's really interesting, um, and uh, I I think that in recent times maybe some <clears throat> of that uh tabooness that's connected to it has drawn more people to it you know maybe people that have more of a, a curious mentality or a, a, maybe even a rebellious streak and it's sort of like you know well you you say to stay away from this thing or you say this thing is bad um that is going to make me want to lean into it even more and figure out why why aren't we talking about this thing um, and so I, I think that's interesting as well. Yeah. And that's, that's a good point too, because I think a lot of the time that is part of the, I think that is uh, a large part of the appeal of horror and anything in the darker, uh, you know, um, sphere of influence because, well, because, because it's forbidden fruit, right? It's, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, but it, it's, it's like in a safe way. It's not like something it's not dangerous. It's not harmful. It's not, despite certain schools of thought. Otherwise I, I, it's, I've never, that, that's, an, that's one thing that also kind of flummoxes me, I guess, when it comes to this is that the, you know, horror or even if it's, you know, um, certain video games or music, especially like music mm-hmm. gets you know, uh, dark music gets this all the time that, that this is unhealthy. I, I really do have to challenge that because I don't, I don't believe that at all. I've never felt yeah. that. I've never, I've never wanted to hurt anyone. I've never listened to a song and then decided, you know what? I think I should burn that building down. It never, it's never occurred to me ever. Yeah, so I, I agree. Never. And, you know, especially when you're talking about things like video games, um, yeah. there's a lot of research that has been done to show um, that that is not the case. And for me personally, I feel like, Um, you know, if if you're talking about violent video games, oftentimes that can be a good outlet um, for people that maybe, maybe you do have pent up aggression. Maybe you do have some, some anger beneath the surface and being able to, uh, you know, play a game like Grand Theft Auto and, you know, shoot up uh, random uh, video game characters. Maybe that's an outlet that somebody needs so that they don't go down a darker path and feel like they need to go up sh- and, and shoot up actual people, you know? <laughs> where else Where else can you fly around in a helicopter and make cars materialize out of thin air onto people? Yeah, right? yeah exactly. <laughs> that's the only place you can do that. <laughs> right now. So no, absolutely. And, and that's, that's, I feel that also very much as well, that it's a health, it's, you know, the same as when, uh, you know, if people um, go to rage rooms or to shooting mm-hmm. ranges or kickboxing, you know, uh, it's the yeah. same kind of thing. It's a healthy expression of, of aggression or uh, darker tendencies or whatever, without actually putting yourself or anyone else at risk. And I think they're all things that everybody has to some degree. So it, you know, when it comes to whether they're video games or horror movies or music, or in our case, writing, it's a, it's a way to do something with those, with, with our dark side, the dark side that I think everybody has in some way. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I mean, you know, we've only been talking for a few minutes here and we've, we've talked really? about a, a, a far <laughs> breadth of stuff here. And I, I think that the horror genre, it does, it has a very vast and wide sphere. And so yeah. let me ask you this. Are, are there any specific subgenres or tropes uh, within the horror genre that you personally are partial to? There's, well, I, yeah, there, there's, there's a number. Like I do like, I like the, the stuff that tends to affect me the most, like actually create a feeling of dread or eeriness or whatever are movies that actually, that, that rely less on gore mm -hmm. or um, jump scares. I hate jump scares. I'm, I'm just completely numb to them now. Mm. Um, we, um, there, there are ways to do them effectively, but there are, you know, certain movies that rely only on them and I yeah. could sleep through one of those. But, um, you know, anything that's, uh, <laughs> so I don't know whether, whether anyone else will agree or not, but one movie that honestly scared the shit out of me the first time I saw it was Paranormal Activity. And that was because it was, it was a, it was a setting very like what, like, it just looked very common, very everyday. It wasn't, it wasn't some rundown shack. It was just like a house in a neighborhood somewhere. And you know, it had people just sleeping in a bed and hearing footsteps down the stairs and then coming down and seeing a chandelier swaying and then going out to the backyard and seeing your wife sitting in, in, a, in the dark, in the cold, you know, staring into space. Like that shit freaks me out. <laughs> so whatever that is, that's one. <laughs> yeah. Um, the uncanny almost. It, it, it's, and, and that's, that's something that I do appreciate in horror as well is that you can take a place that is typically seen as very normal or even very safe and comforting, like, you know, your own home, and then add a few elements, tweak a few things to make it absolutely horrific. For instance, I personally, I really love uh, the movie Midsommar. And yeah, yeah, that yeah. is very bright. Most of it takes place in the day, out in the sunlight, in very this uncommon. gorgeous place. Yeah. Yet there are horrific things right around the corner. And I'll tell you the things that um, the <laughs> the things that that's that unnerved me the most. I think about that movie was one that was pretty much there was really nothing. There was nothing bloody or really hot. Like no, it, it was it was the scene when. I don't remember the character's name, Florence Puke. <laughs> when she goes into the, after she sees her, um, are we allowed to talk spoilers here? Um, uh, I mean, I, I don't really have rules on that, but okay. you know, your <laughs> listeners, if you but haven't seen it, okay. Tomar, I, I won't, I won't say why, but basically you, if you've seen it, you know, she goes into the room with the other women and they're all just kind of like screaming together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, You know that I was like, what the fuck am I seeing right now? So I was, yeah, that, that was, I don't know, that, that was, it was something that was just so unnerving and weird that it, uh, <laughs> despite, despite the other things that had happened prior to that and even following that, that was probably the part mm -hmm. that stuck out the most to me as uh, the creepiest. So, yeah, well, you know, it, it's, it's, Essentially, it, it's supposed to be recreating like a, a, a birth experience. And, mm -hmm. you know, we've all, even if you don't have kids, 
we all have seen movies or TV shows where a woman is giving giving birth to a child, and you know we know about the 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 breathing techniques that they are told to do. We know about the screaming from the pain, but then to have a room full of women all doing this together, but it's just acting. There's no baby being birthed here. It's just like yeah, it's very unnerving. How would you how would you like to be the boom guy during that scene? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh-huh get it? yeah i got it you know <laughs> um yeah well, that, i yeah i saw in junior high i guess i saw an actual birth video and let me tell you if there was ever a uh <clears throat> there was ever uh a case for safe sex that was it right there so yeah for it sure was, <laughs> it's it it's it's a lot <laughs> but also it's surreal because it's yeah i yeah We'll yeah, I get it. It's it's get it. <laughs> it's beautiful but horrific at the same time and it's very reminiscent of, you know, like the movie Alien. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a good point. No, you know what? There's something to that because I, that's kind of what I was almost about to say. I was like there's it, it there's a uh, an <laughs> there's a an entity, a creature coming out of a space where you would not think that there should be one. Mhm. And then, yeah, just there it is. It's it's kind of that. It, it it creates sort of like a like a mental vertigo with your <laughs> with your mind. So yeah, yeah, uh, it's it's the uncanny once again. Yeah. So what what are what are some tropes that you like, either like in hmm. in reading or in writing? Some tropes. So I don't know how much it'll fit into horror, but one that I'm I'm a <laughs> I'm a big fan of. Whenever whenever they do this in any kind of especially like in star Wars, because they, they use this a lot uh, is when they not, you know, knock out a guard and put the, uh, the uniform on and just walk right in. I yeah. love that. Anytime yeah. they do that, I'm, this is me. I don't even know why. <laughs> but, Did you ever play the Hitman video games? Yes, yes, yes. That was the, the best part. That's what sold the game. <laughs> that clown looks oddly uh, built for a child's entertainment but, uh, <laughs> yeah. what the heck but no that yeah you're right that was the best you know like um especially what was what was the one i think it was absolution when oh i mean they they, they had all kinds like there was a clown uh uniform there was a chicken one. <laughs> just all he has to do to sneak in is not kill somebody and put on their clothes that's so that's that's one i like um for horror specifically, I mean, I they they called this out really well in in Scream, which is probably a good portion of I'm of mine, and I'm sure a lot of people's um, awareness of such things. But you know, like, don't don't say I'll be right back. Don't say I think we're safe, or the cops are on the way, or you know, things like that. Don't uh, drink or drink or do drugs or have sex because that's that's a uh, that's bad, bad news, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you like, you like a, a level of maybe cautionary tales mixed with morality in, in sure. your horror. <laughs> sure. Which not even because I, 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 you know, ascribe to them or anything like that, but just because it seems like that's kind of the way it's mm -hmm. um, you know, <laughs> it's become something that I think we all, we all look for like, 
I don't know about anyone else, but if I hear a, if I'm in, if I'm out in the woods somewhere and I hear a sound coming from anywhere with beyond my visual range, which is, you know, constricted to about maybe 20 feet of dim firelight by the fire, I'm not going in there to look at that. Yeah. I'm not going in there to say, I wonder what that was. I better check that out. No, bad idea. <laughs> I'm staying by the fire. <laughs> Yeah. standing back to back with whoever I'm with, with, you know, an ax in both hands. That's so whenever, whenever there's things like that, that seem like an obvious, uh, you know, counterintuitive, counterintuitive um, action, then it's something that I think we all kind of, you know, pull the popcorn close and go like, okay, let's, let's do this thing. You know, <laughs> we know what's coming. Yeah. Yeah. More or less. So if there's if there's a way to do that and then put some kind of spin on it that we haven't maybe seen before, that then I'm a happy guy. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. What are in in your estimation, what are some real strengths of the horror genre? Mm. Uh, I, I for example, I think that horror, a lot of times you are able to talk about difficult things. Uh, taboo things sometimes very emotional things mm -hmm. and whereas it might turn some people off to know that that was going to be the focus of a romance novel or even a a, a drama but you put it within to horror and it, it's almost like you know you, you need your dog to take this pill so you wrap it in a little thing of cheese and so it just helps it go down a little bit more um so in in your estimation what are some what are some strengths of the genre? Well, I think that's, I mean, you hit the nail on the head right there. Like it, you can talk about things that I think we all have, like it's, it's a good, it's a good way to bring up certain topics and at the same time purge them from yourself. Like I've definitely done that a couple of like a, the first few short stories that I had um, published in the first place were related back to some element of my life at that time that I was having a difficulty with. And I don't think that that was necessarily something that I thought of to do. It wasn't like I thought, okay, that's what the focus of this is going to be. It's more like you just, you sit down and start, you know, writing and all this stuff comes out, you know, whether it's work, whether it's home, whether it's whatever relationship, you know, so it, it's kind of two sides of the coin, both able to address these things and at the same time give yourself therapy in, in, mm. in essence right yeah yeah i just off the top of my head i think about the movie <laughs> get out where mm. a lot of times people feel uncomfortable talking about racism it's a difficult topic and there are strong opinions all around it yet yeah you can watch this movie and you can you can see some of the arguments from both sides of the aisle um all you know tied up in this night nice little box of of horror but at the end of it you feel like i've 
I've learned some things, whether you are of the, the mind that, you know, with, within America, you know, there, there is tons of racism and it's, it's systemic and, 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 you know, the majority of white people are racist or you're of the mind of like, yeah, racism is dead. Uh, it's a thing of the past. I think that both groups of people can sit and watch this movie and feel like um, maybe they can see the other perspective a little bit and maybe learn a little bit. And, and that doesn't have have to even lead to a change of opinion or a change of mind, but it can lead to some empathy, which can in turn in real life, walking away from the movie, you can have tough conversations, deep conversations where maybe you might change some of your opinion. And that that's awesome. Well, that's, that's one of the best things I think about fiction in general is that you tell, you you walk up to someone and tell them, actually, I, I address very much exactly this in <laughs> in the miracle sin uh, but if you walk up to somebody and tell them something they won't believe you but if you tell them a story with a mm-hmm. with a moral at the center mm-hmm. they'll get that whether they agree with it or not that's a different thing but they will they will first of all they'll probably listen and secondly it 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 helps it helps because it's less that you're telling it to them and you're helping them experience that yes at the same time it's it's it puts the reader the viewer whatever in the shoes behind or behind the eyes i guess of the character going through those things and allows you to see from another point of view that's easily the most powerful and most valuable thing about any kind of fiction i think yeah, yeah, that's the that's the power of of story. And I think that what makes it even stronger within the horror genre is you are typically going into a scary movie or a spooky book with the mindset of there are going to be things in here that make me uncomfortable. And so going into that already, you know, the author or the, the, the director can slip in some extra things because that person is already in the mindset of I'm going to be made uncomfortable, as opposed to maybe if they're going into another type of genre where they want to just be entertained entertained or they just want to be made to feel good or to feel bad. Um, I, I think the horror genre sets people up for some uncomfortable experiences, but that yeah. is just a part of the process. Yeah. And, and, and that's as, as you expose yourself to that over time, like, you know, whether it's, whether it's a relatively newer thing or, you know, probably like us, I think from, early childhood or at least adolescence, it climatizes you a little bit to, well, maybe more than a little bit, but to dealing with those top with, with, with uh, confronting or meeting or what have you with topics like that. And so you, I mean, a lot of people, it seems like as soon as something like that comes up, whether it's racism or, or um, abuse, trauma, you know, Mm. Uh, they tend to shy away from it almost immediately. Whereas I think a lot of people who are used to this sort of thing, it becomes more a matter of, no, like, let's, let's talk about, these are things that, that probably should be talked about. Maybe not all the time, maybe not in every setting or with every uh, group of people, but uh, the more something gets talked about, the more it, uh, becomes commonplace and the, the the less of a stigma there is yeah 
So everything together, this, I mean, you want the value of horror. I think they're, <laughs> they're this is, this is a lot. We're doing a lot of, we're doing a lot of good for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, <laughs> right? I, I love it. I mean, I, I know I've said this before, but a big part of my writing, why I write and, and what I'm trying to get out of it is, you know, obviously for me on a personal level, I'm processing a lot of stuff. Um, I'm, I'm working through a lot of things in my own psyche and my own experience, but I'm in my writing, I'm willing to face the demons. I'm willing to, you know, just uh, uncover the, the horrific and the scary and the traumatic in the hopes that a reader can read those things and within the, the relative safe confines of fiction, but yeah. then learn about themselves or maybe learn from a character and be empowered to then go into their real life and face those real demons, those real monsters, and, and maybe, maybe find some victory. Yeah. It's like the old saying goes is as soon as you face a fear, it disappears. Mm, yeah. Right. Yeah. If you, the more, the more you shy away from something and turn your back on it, the more it can cast a shadow over you but if you turn around and look at it and meet it face to face loses yeah. its power yeah you so know? dove dove off of this current stream of thought that we're in it it's been my experience and then i've heard it from a ton of other people from within the community but why do you think horror fans tend to be so nice and friendly <laughs> i think prop i i this is I don't know for sure. I'm not a, uh, a doctor. I just play one on TV, but um, <laughs> I think it's probably because of a lot, like a lot of what we're talking about here is cathartic. It's, it, mm. you know, it, it works through a lot of stuff, which in turn helps you, it, it helps purge a lot of that stuff from you. Maybe yeah. not forever, but it helps like exercise it in a, in a good way. So that alone creates, you know, a benefit, a, a, a healthier self. And at the same time, when you talk about it with people, they get it like right now, or like any, any of the conversations I'm sure we've had with anybody else in the community, it, it creates a sense of community as well. So it's, mm, it, yes, it, um, yeah, I don't know. It, 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 and it's so true too, because <laughs> I don't, I don't see a whole lot of that in not that, you know, I, I've, dipped many toes in other pools or anything but like i i i'd have trouble seeing that in well like you say the romance um genres or or anything like that because well maybe they do i i, I really don't know but it's it's harder to picture i guess for me yeah yeah because while we are <laughs> it's it's sort of a bearing a bearing of one's naked self so it um Maybe that's what uh, actually <laughs> quite technically, I'm sure that is what romance is, but uh, that's a different <laughs> yeah. story altogether. Um, yeah, I, I think that's why I think it because it it's therapeutic and in doing so it it's like a it sort of, um, you know, it throws up a flag to other people who share those same things. Yeah, yeah. It, it What you're saying makes me think of my interview with Haley Newland, you know, mm -hmm. when we, we talked a lot about mental health within horror and even for her, she was very forthright and very open in her author's note for take your turn, Teddy. And I know that 
even just for me, who I've had my own struggles with specifically anxiety, um, to read her bearing her soul, it, it automatically just made me feel heard and listened to and less alone. But then also, you know, you're talking about the community and the camaraderie. And when Jamie Stewart was on, he was talking about that. And he, for him, his introduction to, to horror was the Resident Evil video games. Yeah. And he remembers playing those with friends and one friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like you you want to go through those scares and that fear or even maybe even the gross stuff within horror. You want to share it with someone else. And it does sort of just because of that, it it it, it creates community and camaraderie. Like I, I couldn't imagine people bonding over the human centipede, but maybe they did. Who knows, right? <laughs> yeah, but, I, I like how you but, use but, the word yeah, bonding. Well, same thing, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, I didn't even mean to do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah but no okay moving on (laughs) no 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 let's talk about it no let's not okay um no i I agree like especially yeah resident evil i remember yeah totally playing that you know with with friends um the old house of the dead arcade uh game you know going Mm -hmm. going to the well wherever they had it right i mean sometimes it was at the movie theater or something like that but um yeah it was yeah it's you 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 tend to it it may not always necessarily be what the what the thing is whether it's the game or the movie but the people you were with and the time in your life and yes that's a good point as well yeah it it really instills memories and yeah. if they're good memories with good people you know it, it it creates nostalgia and i know that for me a lot of my love for horror um, goes back to nostalgia Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's, that's, that's really cool. And obviously too, you know, the, the things that horrify us, the things that scare us or the things that really gross us out tend to, you know, be a little, uh, they, they're, they're left with a darker imprint on our brain. Like we sure. remember them. Yeah. They're, they, they can be cheap thrills, but there's still some value in that because I mean, I remember the first time watching hatchet, you ever seen that? I haven't. I'm I'm familiar with it, but I haven't seen it. Yeah. Well, there's yeah, there's <laughs> there's lots of good kills in that one. I won't read it for you, but yeah, it's just like, but there was stuff that I was like, oh, I've never seen that before. <laughs> like, so yeah. it yeah, it <laughs> terrifier. That's a good one too. Horror. I think that the genre mm-hmm. overall it tends to be divisive, and I'm not talking about within the community because I I think that within the community. There is a lot of, um, you know, people are okay with you like that, that subgenre, you like that trope, I don't care for it, but that's fine, we can still be horror fans. But I'm talking about the people that love it tend to really love it. And the people that don't care for it don't want anything to do with it. So if you as a horror lover, and even as a horror author, if you met someone or you were talking to someone who claimed to hate horror, or maybe they had just never given it a try, what are some of the movies and books that you might recommend to them to sort of introduce them to the genre? Wow, no pressure, right? Yeah, uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-huh. Well, some like I know one one movie I would I would recommend right off the bat would be The Shining. That's easily my favorite horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know what I think 
I, I watched this a little, or, oh, wait, did I watch this? Uh, <laughs> my memory's starting to go here. Um, but at, at one way or the other, at, at the core, that movie is about a family. Yes. I think that's yeah. right then and there, you know, three quarters of its value because it's a regular family trying to get by, trying to make a living by doing this, this, uh, this errand that they're tasked with and shit ensues you know it, yeah. and it's it's also it visually it's I- incredible and it's really just well well shot and well staged and well acted and well written and everything so that one i would definitely start with <laughs> and you get all their perspectives too you know whether yeah. you are a a a husband or a mother or a child or whatever it might be you get their different perspectives how they view things and i think that's really cool yeah i i really i probably relate to danny more than anybody else in that whole thing which is why i was really glad that the, that dr sleep both the book and um the film materialized at some point so i thought that mm. was really cool but yeah, you can, you can, I mean, you could probably even see the perspective of the house. Like it's just minding its own business. Get out of here. You, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. You, you living beings. So, you know. <laughs> so, what about a book? Would you also recommend the book, The Shining, or would you maybe go yes, with something absolutely. else? Absolutely. Well, I, I would. My, so I, as far as books that I would recommend to people who perhaps didn't like horror would be Misery. I love Misery. That's probably one of my favorite books ever. Yeah. Um, a more recent one that I cannot recommend enough to people is The Troop by Nick Cutter. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's <laughs> that one's got like it's so well written for one thing, but it's also just got lots of different like you'd f- I think you'd think that during the course of a of a camping trip with there's four boys that eventually that might all seem kind of like, you know, four boys, they might not all, you know, be all that uh, distinctive. Every one of those boys is so unique in their own way that it just, it makes, it really makes the book. It really does. And they bring their own fears to the table. Yeah. Oh yeah. Even, yeah. Again, won't go into spoilers, but like even some of the less, less endearing boys but you know mm-hmm. they, yeah. they, <laughs> I, I know what you but, mean yeah but exactly right like they have their own fears they have their own consider uh, concerns and considerations Issues. as well and yeah. and it, and then it's also just gut-wrenchingly gross. like it's it's horrid <laughs> yeah um there's one scene in particular that i I was listening to the audiobook. That's how I, you know, quote unquote, read the book. And I, re- I, I still remember it to this day. It was, it was, it was last year and I was on a walk. I try to, you know, go for a walk every day. I always <laughs> listen to audiobooks, but I got to one part in particular and I had to turn it off because I felt a panic attack coming on. For me personally, one of my biggest fears is surgery. Like I don't like it. So you can, you, you know what scene I'm talking about, I'm sure but my, my yeah i might i was thinking a different one before you mentioned that but yeah i think i know what you mean <laughs> so okay it's, let me yeah. let me ask you this because i am familiar with all these i've read the troop i've read the shining i've i've seen the movie and all three of those they tend to be 
talked about as either being very terrifying, you know, the scariest book I've ever read or the most horrifying thing I've ever seen, or even the most with the troop, the most brutal or disgusting. Um, and, and so I guess just in my mind, those are on more of the extreme side of things. So what if you had someone who says, I want to try out horror, but I don't want to be grossed out to where I feel sick to my stomach. And I don't want to be terrified to the point where I'm scared to turn the light off and go to sleep at night. Or can you think of maybe a movie or a book that you might recommend for someone like that? For sure. The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's very much, that's very much uh, more atmosphere and more in your head than mm-hmm. and it is overt you know kind of shocking extreme type of uh type of fare because i mean yeah there's a scene i, I think i'll probably always remember <laughs> as you know basically the main character she realizes that uh someone's holding her hand and it's not who she thought it was and it was like that that whole th- and she starts kind of freaking out that that will probably stay with me forever. And it's, it's a definitely much more quiet, slow burn, but very, very insidiously creepy story. Yeah. And it's nice and short too. It's if, if, uh, if you really want to just kind of dip your toes into something and for, for a person who isn't normally um, a fan, that would probably be a great start, I think. Yeah, I agree. And I think that an, another <laughs> one that has a similar tone and feel and is also, you know, another uh, female author, I would say Frankenstein. I still have yet to read that, but I have it. And it's it's uh, <laughs> it's gathering a nice layer of dust, but only because I've got so many to read. But I, I plan to. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely check it out. I, I just read it this year. Um, yeah. I read it back, I think, in February. Um, and it was my first time reading it and it wasn't what I expected, but it was so good. And it was, you know, it was creepy, but it wasn't, you know, nightmare inducing and, you know, but it did, it, it hit a lot of the tropes of, of horror and it also had some heart. And so, yeah, I, I think that it, it, it would fit in nicely with, you know, with your recommendation as well. Yeah. And that, that tends to be, I think for, for a lot of people, like even if people aren't really well versed, I think that tends to be the sort of thing that kind of tends to, um, you know, cross canyons in the sense that whether it's, you know, someone like you or I, or somebody who's used to reading Nicholas Sparks or something like that, Mm -hmm. they, they could read that and still be affected by it and still see the value in it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, that's fair. It's uh, it's, it's powerful one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I want to transition a little bit <clears throat> and I want to talk about your writing and I'd like to start <laughs> by talking <laughs> about your short story from the blood rights horror anthology, bitter chills. The right. story's called every hunt is a cold one. And I read it earlier this year. I read the whole anthology and I thought it, it's a very strong anthology across the board, but I, I did hand out a few five-star reviews and yours was, was one of those. And I, I just felt that it was brutal and bleak with a strong helping of 
desperation. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you for <laughs> writing it. <laughs> well, I, I think that you have quite the knack for description. And lines like this one I'm about to read um, left me feeling physically cold. So here it is. Then one day, the radio voices stopped. Then there was only one country, one land. Its flag was white, but it didn't surrender. So tell me a bit did about your, <laughs> what'd you say? I said, did I write that? That's yeah, pretty Yeah, yeah, you did, you did. <laughs> <laughs> tell me a bit uh, about your research process for such a frostbitten story. Oh, uh, that's simple. I live in Canada. Mm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Is it cold uh, up there? It's winter six to seven months of the year here. So um, not in all parts of Canada. I mean, it's a large, you know, part of, uh, it's a large stretch of land, but um, yeah, February is easily, you know, the coldest month. We usually tend to see minus thirties. Wow. Yeah. 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 Um, we just had our first snowfall the day before Halloween, by the way, that was, uh, that was fun. No, it wasn't, but um <laughs> Mm. So that that story, that whole thing, very much. Came, I'm sure anyone could probably safely guess, but it uh, came from very much during a time when it was cold. It was winter. It was during a pandemic when people were separated from each other and stuck in their homes and scared of this um, this virus that was at large. So a lot of that works its way into the story very obviously of course but even you know just in a even subtextually i guess because there's a lot of things that at play as far as just fear of not even so much the like it, it says so toward the beginning but like a fear of not just the dark but a fear of the light of being up in the world where everything is exposed everything is you know white like there's nowhere to hide right so mm. yeah it, it it, uh, yeah, that's, that was a, <laughs> that was a, that was an, that was, that was a story that very much I felt had to just kind of come out. Like it was, I hate winter. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the, that's the central thesis of that story. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't like the cold. Uh, you'd think I'd be used to it being Canadian, but I, I really don't. It's just a long, long, dark, cold time. I get really bad seasonal depression and it just, Mm. I don't care for it. So that was my way of doing something with that. Yeah. Well, I think it came through because. Oh, good. The, to me, <laughs> the main antagonist, the main bad guy, the main, you know, I mean, the, the story has its fair share of quote unquote monsters. But mm -hmm. to me, the biggest one was just the cold. It mm -hmm. was winter. It was everything that that comes with it. And you did a good job of making sure but, uh, this story, it has a very clear, which I, I, I like that, um, but it's rare within a short story, but it had a very clear beginning, middle and end. Um, but you also did a good job of making sure that thread, that same monster of winter and cold stuck with us as we read it. Yeah. Uh, it, it's the, uh, the predator of, of all of both predator and it's it's the all-encompassing predator yeah, yeah yeah well your your disdain for winter uh it, it shined through so good <laughs> <Ooh>, job <laughs> i'm sure 
Um, I've got yeah. one more line that I want to share from this story. Oh, please, yeah. Funny how this tiny show of movement confirmed his demise more than absolute stillness. For me personally, I found this line quite jarring. And it made me think of how many of us seem to be more scared of the process of dying than death itself. And so is that a point that you were trying to make here or is there something more to it? Don't, I don't think I was at the time. Uh, that's, that's very insightful actually though, because it, it is, see, I love that. I love when th this has happened a couple of times when I'll write something and then somebody sees something in it that I didn't necessarily think, but now I do. You know what mm. I mean? Yeah. It, yeah. It's like a subconscious cool. yeah. something was going on when you were writing it. Yeah. Well, and so at the time, while while thinking of that, I guess I was just trying to put myself in her in the main character, Hope, in her um in her head and be like, you know, just kind of see what she saw. And I thought if he was just laying, you know, there still, she wouldn't trust it. You know, she'd think he's he's playing, playing playing dead right but by there being just that little you know something that he wouldn't do if he was you know if if that was the case like a twitch or a jerk yeah 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 something like that then it would it would actually be more of a um <laughs> oddly more of a comfort than the other way around mm. Yeah. Yeah. Hard, harder to fake something like that. <laughs> Hard. Yeah. Well, depends. Death throws. <laughs> <laughs> depends on who's, who is at play, but that's, that's <laughs> the whole thing, right? It's there's, there's things that you, you know, in the, in the process of, of writing something that you don't think of normally, but then you do. And you're like, where was that two minutes ago? Where, where will that be? A year from now, I'll probably never think that exact thing again. Right. Yeah. But yeah. maybe in some maybe in some form in, in in another way or something like that. But it's just kind of it's neat how there's all these little unique little moments and flavors and things like that, you know? Yeah. 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 That's cool. I think that, you know, <clears throat> for us as authors, the stuff that we write is a bit of a roadmap of our life. And the things that we're going through, the things that we're experiencing, the things that we're processing, the things that are fresh in our mind. And hopefully, you know, as we continue, and th this is something I know that that as, as a bit of an aside, some people are upset with the fact that Stephen King is not really writing much horror anymore. And for me, it, it's sort of I mean, he gave us some amazing horror and he's allowed to write what he wants. And I just think that for him at this point in his life, he is sort of focusing on other things and focusing on just maybe different kinds of fears based on his life and what he's seen and what he's experiencing. And it, it has maybe you, you could say matured a little bit, but, you know, I, I think that for in a, a lot of the authors that you see that are prolific and have been writing for a long time, they tend to start branching out, maybe experimenting 
um, as opposed to writing the same old thing over and over. Now, obviously, there are going to be some that break that mold, like an R.L. Stein or a Lee Child that sort of stay in that specific wheelhouse. But for others, there's there's a switch and a change. And I think that that's just a part of life and growth and, and progress. And so uh, I'll, I'll be interesting to interested to see what I'm writing 30 years from now, what you're writing sure. 30 years from now in comparison Absolutely. to what we're writing today. Yeah, no. And, and you, you said basically everything that I think about that, uh, that topic right there. He's, he's been very much the name and still is very much the name in horror fiction he can do whatever he wants now <laughs> mm-hmm. he wants to do mystery or or um you know d- detective stories what what have you he it's fine he's i mean the guy's written what 50 books i don't know I, I i don't even know the the exact number but it's a lot it's you know yeah it's a lot there's probably probably both a need on his part to branch out and probably starting to run out of more things that are going to scare people nowadays. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. 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 No, he's, he's good. He's fine. Yeah. Everybody and I mean, he's, fine. he's essentially become a brand to himself. Sure. The voice yeah. is still the same, whether you are reading, you know, something that's very heartfelt like hearts in Atlantis, or whether you are reading something horrifying like pet cemetery, or you're writing a dramatic love story like 112263, the voice is still the same. You can still, it's clear that uncle Stevie is writing this. And that's the, and that's a good point too, is this isn't new. Like he, I mean, the green mile or, um, yeah. And he, you know, like he's, he's written lots of different things over the body Shawshank. One of, one of like some of my favorite, like there um, in everything's eventual, there are a few stories. It's a collection of short stories, but there, there are two that stick out that have always stuck out to me as some of my favorite things that he's written. Uh, one is called the death of Jack Hamilton. And the other is everything you love will be carried away. Those are not horror at all, but they are some of his best work. I think because he takes concepts. Like if, if I told you what they were about, do you know what, do you know those two by any chance? Yes. I, that was like the third or fourth King book that I read in it was in high school and I do plan to give it a reread, but yeah, I remember at the time I was upset because I wanted everything to be scary. And there were, I remember there were a few in that, that weren't horror, um, but I'm sure I'd appreciate it more now. So one, yeah, one of them is about um, it's sort of like a um, sort of a flashback from uh, John Dillinger and his gang there and Mm. how, how, one of them was injured and one of the crew entertained the other. It was like, again, if somebody came to me and told me what that was about, I'd be like, well, that doesn't sound very interesting, but it's, it's like really amazing. And then the other one is about a man who's uh, he collects um, graffiti, like uh, different bits of things that he's seen. He's a traveling salesman and, and, you know, through having gone from one end of America to the other, uh, has seen different um, inscriptions on, you know, bathroom walls to hotel rooms to whatever. And he keeps them all in, in a notebook and there's more to it than that. But I just thought like that, how does that, I would have never, ever thought of that story. Like I just yeah, never yeah. would have, you know what I mean? But yeah. he does, he did and he made it amazing. It was, you know, yeah. so I, I don't think anyone should limit themselves by saying I'm, I'm a this author, I'm a that author, or 
whatever, or, or even just because of that, that I can't do something else because maybe that's what you've got that day. Right. I mean, the things that were, <laughs> I'd like to think that, yeah, like you say, 30 years from now, I'll have purged a lot of this stuff from me and will want to tell something nice, you know, maybe for once. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, uh, see, even just the reaction is, is like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, yeah. but, but that's a good point because I mean, right now it seems like it's a long ways away, but I can, you know, already I can think of like one or two things that might come up at some point, at yeah. some point, you know, yeah. when, when the, when the noggins geared that way. Yeah. yeah. Not quite. You're, you, you've been busy as of late and your, <laughs> your, your relationship with blood rights horrors, it goes beyond just writing. You're currently in the midst of editing a vampire anthology called Dead of Night. What made you want to put together an anthology focused on the vampire trope? The simple answer, because I love vampires. Um, Mm. Yeah, I I actually, I approached um, Jay with, I I said at any point, because I saw some of the titles that were starting to come out, right? Or like some of the uh, themes that were starting to come out. And, you know, like there was the fun house and serial killers in it. Then at, um, at one point I said, do you think, like, I was just kind of inquiring cause I would be interested. Would you ever think of doing a vampire anthology? And after a, not a whole lot of conversation it basically was offered to me. And I thought, well, that's definitely in some ways a lot better than <laughs> than just trying to submit you know a story for something and having it go one way or the other instead this actually gives me the chance to get behind the camera so to speak because mm. this is something that i i had never done up to that point and didn't know that i was looking for but i'm really really grateful for because it's given me a lot of insight in a number of ways specifically just kind of seeing like, well, first of all, how many submissions come in, how they, how many have you had? If you don't mind my asking, honestly, uh, almost 60, <laughs> Oh Lord, 57. <laughs> I do not envy you, man. Yeah. It, no, do you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not sorry. One bit about that. I, I enjoyed looking at every single one of them. Um, and it's, it's really honestly like, cause I think a lot of the time, when before something like that as writers we tend to take rejection tough you know what i mean and i've been submitting stories for i don't know at least 15 years now and i've had only a handful of exceptions comparatively right but that's kind of the point is that it it gives you sort of another appreciation for just what other people are writing just trying to think of how to word this exactly it's we tend to think that like if a story gets rejected or something that that means it's not good right i think that happens at any any stage right or at least that's that's what we worry about or or it's somewhere in in our you know the back of our minds or whatever but it's not always about that it's about like there, there are stories that I'm sad to say I won't be going into this 
that I'm really sorry are not. And that is simply because, well, it could be a number, like it, it can be something as simple as length. It could be something like, this is really good, but it's not quite what is, you know, being sought here. Um, yeah, the, the editor's vision plays a big role, right? Very much. Well, and that's just it. Is like I think this was definitely sort of putting putting on a different hat in this sense because I was trying very much not to look at it from like a writer's point of view, but just just as a reader first. Like I didn't even read the uh, the cover letters at first. I, I read the story first, then the cover letter or the email that it that it came in. You know, so so that it, it was just kind of going in fresh. And a lot of a lot of people, uh, I had never read anything of theirs before yourself included that was the first thing no really that was the first thing of yours that i'd read wow. i'm sorry to say that but i cool. i have i have the window i have voodoo child i i have i have so many books yeah i no, wish i, I could get it man i sleep like like dr sleep or, or like dr strange because then i might actually be able to <laughs> get, get somewhere with these things but i yeah no they're they're all happening it's just a matter of when so it was it was really great to see a lot of that is as well like a lot of people's uh intro to to me and it was an excuse for you to maybe read some of these authors that maybe you know but you haven't got to read them yet now you had like i've got to read all these stories and i'm going to learn some new things here too so that's cool yeah i'm pretty sure that was the first time i'd read uh anything from uh jeremy magri wow um who else? There was a bunch. Yeah. I, I, but yeah, no, it was, it was, it was a great experience and I'm eternally thankful uh, for it. And it was also kind of a, I guess, a matter of some pride to me because going from, you know, submitting hard for, <laughs> for a long time to finally being given the chance, um, the duty, I'm going to go as far as to say yeah, of, of being the one to choose what, gets accepted and what doesn't was uh i don't know it, it's it said it felt like progress to me like it felt like mm. i sort of moved from that to this and i loved that i don't know <laughs> yeah you know with Almost myself, i wouldn't cry <laughs> no no I, it, it but that's that was very much the like kind of the feeling that i got from it was that that was how i started and this is where i'm at so that mm. was that was a nice realization for me. Yeah, no, that's cool. And going back to what you were saying a minute ago about just the process of what makes it in and what doesn't and the reasons why, I know that with Welcome to the Fun House, Kelly Brocklehurst and Jamie Stewart did the, the editing for that. And I know that Jamie has said on a few occasions that the way that he sort of looked at it was like the from the perspective of a musical artist and making an album that you know you might have 20 songs that you love and you feel are amazing 
But with different albums, you're looking for different feels, different concepts. And sometimes it, you know, like you mentioned, length needs to be considered, how it maybe fits with the songs before and after it. And so sometimes those songs get left on the cutting floor, not because they weren't good, not because they weren't focused or anything like that, but just because it wasn't right for this album at this time. And I thought that was a really cool, unique um, way to view it. And it helped me to understand things a little bit better. I think that's a great way of putting it. Another, yeah, an album, maybe even like a puzzle as well. Like there are pieces that might fit together, the two or three of them, but maybe not with the other Mm. seven or eight or something. It's very much about finding things that kind of flow together as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah it's definitely (laughs) so how how is now now that you can call yourself an author and an editor how is editing different from writing and are you finding any areas where the skills that you apply as a writer carry over into editing I think it's (laughs) I think it's definitely given me an appreciation for trying to be a, you know a little more discerning about how things are how things might come across to somebody that doesn't have my brain mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right like there's a few times that <laughs> there was a few times during the editing of um the miracle sin that uh spencer hamilton might who, who edited the book said like straight up he said okay i'm lost here Right. Like I, and, and it made me realize, okay, see, like I get what's going on, but he doesn't. So that's a good thing to know because you want your reader to know what's going on. Right. Yeah. Obviously. So if that's, yeah, it, it, even if, and it's okay, even if that's something that you don't have right away, but as long as somebody mentions it, you can do something with that. So it's, you know, I think a lot of the time, if what, what can happen is that, if um, comments or constructive criticism are offered to writers that it can, especially like at the beginning of a journey, people can uh, tend to take it personally, maybe not intentionally, but it just, that's the reaction that can happen, but it's not right. It's just, it's a matter of that's what somebody took from this. That's how somebody got this or didn't get it or whatever. Right. So it, it's definitely, definitely definitely Raymond uh it's definitely good to have both perspectives I think Mm. do you think that going through this process of editing Mm. now is going to strengthen your own writing that remains to be seen (laughs) I um I've been I've been writing what are your feelings though do you feel like yeah no I I really let's just say I hope so um (laughs) okay (laughs) I I think at first, so when, when I when I start writing, I don't try to look at things that way. In fact, that's very much what I've worked a long time to not do is any editing while initially writing, while, mm. while starting the first draft of something. That's that's one of the hardest, but also most pervasive bad habits, I think, to to edit as you write. Like every paragraph, you go back and you muck that around until it seems right, then move on to the next one. That just stalls forward motion, I find. And it's what's taken me a long time to get written and also taken a long time to get to get worked 
out of my system. So now I just try to get it all out first, then edit. So it, I think it will help. It's just a matter of when to apply it. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. That's, that so that's another thing I'm going to have to learn now. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's, yeah, it, it shouldn't be, shouldn't be too hard, I think. Yeah, you've been spending a lot of hours to press the button in the editor mindset. And now to go back to writing, it, 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 it might be a little more difficult, at least at the <laughs> beginning, like, to turn it off. This good? I don't know. Like, you know, <laughs> check it out, yeah. please. You know, I don't, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, <laughs> it's humbling in, in, in every way it's, you know, it, it both gives you an appreciation for editors and what they have to um, put up with <laughs> essentially from, from a lot of us. And then at the same time, um, kind of makes you, I guess, hope that what you, what you have and bring to the table as a writer will, will, will connect with people. Yeah. You know? Cause that's what an editor does. I think a lot of the time they don't just check spelling and uh, punctuation and stuff like that, but they also give you notes or, or comments on what they're reading and whether it's like this, this is great. This, uh, this works, this doesn't work. This could be clearer. You know, even if it's just something like that, like this yeah. could be worded differently. That's valuable right there. Mm. You know? Yeah. So based on, what I heard in some of the tenses you were using, it sounded like you've, you've read these stories. So you're, you're moving, you're moving forward in this progress. So when can we maybe expect to see the release of dead of night? Right. So that uh, I believe the current forecast is for January. Okay. That was the last thing um, Jay and I talked about was, I think sometime in January, of course, that might change. It might even be later in January than earlier. I, I'm not quite sure yet, but as of right now, that's what I believe the forecast date to be. Yeah, cool. So, yeah, I mean, a rough estimate is not, in not the, too uh, much longer. Yeah, no, it, it should be sometime early, very early next year. Yeah, cool. And it's only November now, so too much time. To time moves quickly, doesn't it? It moved, time is weird. Time for the last two years has just been like, you know, I, I keep, I keep, <laughs> keep remembering back to um, a line from true detective time is a flat circle. That's very much how it feels the last uh, 2020 and 2021. Doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's yes. True Detective season one is absolutely amazing. One of my favorite seasons of television, bar none. Me too. Me so too. I, <laughs> there's, it's funny because I, I don't think before then that I'd ever seen. Oh no, I guess that's not true. Oh, I was going to say, I don't think I'd seen Matthew McConaughey and um, Woody Harrelson in something together, but they were in ed TV together, but that was, you know, we, we don't have to talk about that. A but very different. Say, I haven't, I haven't seen them together to any um, notable effect, shall we say? But that was <laughs> okay, definitely, okay. definitely one of them. Yeah, they definitely had chemistry in that show. Yeah. I mean, poof, yeah. Well, and and, and they can also. I, I, I thought it was great too because the two of them separately can be very, you know, in, in the roles that they play, they can be very folksy and stuff like that. But this was intense. Like this was yeah. two guys who are you know, life, life has been less than kind to them. So having a go. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. So 
what I like to do with all of my guests, uh, we're, we're going to start wrapping up. And I want to first, though, before we end this, I want to take you to a place I call the Carpenter Shed. Now, I know that you are a, a, a John Carpenter fan yeah, and know. you've seen many of his films. <laughs> well, let me ask you, what is and I'm sorry to have to 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 force you to give me this answer. But what is your favorite John Carpenter movie? Uh, um <laughs> Okay, I'll name, uh, there, there's a few that are absolute standouts for me. Like, of course, The Thing and They Live. Um, I'm a big fan of vampires as well. That was a big influence um, or inspiration, one or the other in The Miracle Sin and Halloween. But if I had to pick just the one, mm, ah, The Thing, I'll go with The Thing. Okay. How can you go wrong with The Thing? Now, there are a lot of fucking couch. <laughs> there are a lot of similarities between the thing and your short story that we were talking about. Every hunt is a cold one, right? There, there. It's funny, but I don't think that was intentional. But maybe actually, um, there's fewer, you know, disembodied heads with legs walking around. Yeah, but, yeah, but they're both but, very cold and yeah, very much atmospheric. They, they, they're in the same, yeah, I'd say they're in the same sort of wheelhouse. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So what, what are a couple of things about the thing that really makes it stand out to you? That's a good question. Cause I watched it again, not, not that long ago, actually. And it's just, it's, there's, it's neat how the story it's very, like, it's very simple story, really to a point that I even say there isn't really much of a plot per se. It's more a really extended situation. Yeah. You know, kind of, you know, in, in, a, in a lot of ways, almost like, um, well, there's a lot of movies that, that do that, but uh, it's not, it's not boring or it doesn't strain to keep your attention or, or make an impact on you. It, but at the same time, there's lots of things that, sort of slowly unravel you know like it starts out very simply with a dog just running across the tundra and uh, a helicopter following it and you're like well what's going on here and then you then you find out why that is and then that leads to a few other things and then those things lead to a few other things and then you know it's it 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 just it unpeels unravels what have you very nicely i think and it's also cold and dark and suspicious. Everybody's like, well, I know I'm fine, but what about the rest of you guys? But then we're like, well, but what about you? You know, it's, it's, it's very um, almost like cabin fever too. You know, everyone's sort of afraid yeah. of, uh, of everybody else for having the thing, but then they don't know if they have the thing. Mm, yeah. A bunch of things going on. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Plus Kurt Russell. He's, he's just good. And just yes. <laughs> Actually, there's a bunch of talent. There's Kurt Russell. There's, uh, there's uh, Keith David. Um, I can never remember the actor's name, but um, oh, Wilford Brimley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. That was, that was the first time I saw the thing, which I don't actually remember, but I remember not realizing that that was him because he was miss, missing his big walrus mustache. You know? <laughs> 
was like, that's the diabetes guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, that's how I always remember him. Yeah. All right. So allow me to take you by the hand away from the carpenter shed and into the King's corner. And I want to ask you two questions. The first one is what is your favorite Stephen King book? Misery. Misery. Yeah. You mentioned that earlier. What, what also is it about? Similar, about it? <laughs> probably a similar thing to what I, I just mentioned too. It's very, uh, it's very insular. It's very claustrophobic. It's mm, yeah. largely just two characters. Yeah. And um, heavy suspense, heavy suspense, like right from the onset too. And yeah, I like the first, the, the whole thing is great, but even just like those first four or five chapters when he starts to really realize like i'm in some trouble here <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. you know this uh, i think uh, something he says exactly is like this woman ain't right <laughs> yep. yeah you're right well, there. there's almost a sense that there is some sort of thing inside her because on one hand she can be so sweet and so delicate and gentle and caring but then mm -hmm. on a dime she can just become sadistic very much a mask like there's there's i think one you know a lot of the time um the true horrors of the world disguise themselves with veneers you know with with, mm -hmm. with kindness with uh, encouragement with you know things that on the surface seem innocuous but when you spend any time around them and see the effect, start to realize the effect that they're having on you, you realize how unhealthy and just how toxic and yeah, sinister they can be, right? Yeah. So that's very much that that book in a nutshell. Plus, it's just like it's neat because there's that story and then there's a story within a story. Yeah. And like again, one of the things that sticks out from me in that book is like, besides, you know, part where he's going around the, the house and you're like, hurry up. She's going to come. She's going to catch you. You know, she'll find out you've been out that kind of thing. There's just, there's this one time where I think, like you said, she turns sadistic, but I think there's one time where she's just like, she's tuned out, comes in and brings him his, um, his pills, closes the door. And then he can hear her walking away and then sits in her chair like there's just something so I don't know what it is, but I think we've all lived like just from like hearing other people walking around a house or even if there's nobody in the house, but you can hear it creaking. There's something about that that just I it stuck in my mind because that was just exactly the kind of thing that you can think like, OK, if I can hear her, she can hear me. So if I ruffle in my bed, she'll, you know, no, you know what I mean? Like it, it's just yeah. kind of it's a small thing, but it has a, a large effect. Yeah, it's unnerving. Yeah. Okay, so the second question. Um, this doesn't have to mean that you believe it's necessar necessarily a bad book, but what would be the least favorite Stephen King book that you've read? I think I would have to, I, I must have been asked this before by somebody because I clearly had an answer, but uh, <laughs> uh, I'd have to go with Cell only mm. because I... It, again, it wasn't bad. I just think that was probably around the time that I start. Like it was, it was very horror based, but something. I think that was kind of the first one that I of his that I read that was, it was a little more. It was almost science fictiony, but not quite. And it started out 
really cool. I, again, there's an, there's another image that sticks in my mind about that one. About an, <laughs> there was somebody running naked through the streets wearing just a pair of sneakers. That I don't know for some reason I just I I love that and I remember that. But for some reason, <laughs> not not that I love actually seeing that. <laughs> I know that's what you were thinking, but no, no, no. I like, I, I love that it, that it was something that minor that stuck in my yeah. mind. It was so unusual. You know what I mean? Yeah. But for some reason, I think as a whole, it just didn't quite have the effect that I thought it might. Like mm. that was maybe the first yeah. time that it had more of a average effect on me. It was still good. It was just, it, it didn't, um, it didn't stick with me as much as any other, any others I had read up to that point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I, I I have similar feelings when it comes to that book. Um, there are definitely it? parts of it that I won't forget that they stand out very vividly in my mind. But you know, it's not in my even top twenty King books no. that I've read. <laughs> no, and other people might might absolutely put it in their top twenty. It's yeah, know, it, yeah. They might put it in their number one. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Could have been the first one they read, and that's. Uh, mm-hmm why it sticks with them. And that I, that I find that tends to happen a lot too. Like the, your, your intro to something you, even if you find something you like better, you always kind of have a special, you know, relationship. And, uh, there's something about that that sticks with you over the years, you know? Yeah. That's how I feel about Cujo. It's not even, it's not in my top 10, um, I but <laughs> I still have a fondness for it because it was my introduction to King. Yeah. All right. So final question. What are, well, actually there'll be one more question because I'm going to ask <laughs> you where people can find you and all of that sort of final stuff. Question. But and after that, there's just one more question. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's but only what, two questions left. We, the, the theme here that we've been sticking with is, you know, why we love horror. Yes. And so I want to hear from you. What are three horror books or movies that you want to recommend to our listeners? Maybe some that you haven't already recommended. And I don't know if that throws a wrench in the machine there, but. <laughs> no, no wrench and no machine. Um, well, I would. Okay. So I would recommend Misery and The Troop. I let, um, another, yeah. And The Shining. I would recommend. I know, I know Lovecraft is a, a controversial topic, but as far as his work is concerned, that's still something that has like, even the, I had to stop reading that at certain times because it just creates this sort of like mental dysmorphia mm-hmm. yeah. in, your, in your mind of everything going on. So anything of his, like maybe uh, the door or uh, uh, at the mountains of madness, I guess that would be a good one for an intro to say cosmic and surreal, weird <laughs> um horror a lot of these are cold i'm suddenly realizing this now like it's like a lot of these have a have a winter uh uh, (laughs) element to them and maybe i should maybe i should go look at that i don't know (laughs) we'll get that looked at um you need to check out some summer horror yeah yeah (laughs) some vacation yeah some some nice beach horror you know um what about a movie what's what's another movie okay so i mentioned the shining before that would definitely be one of them um night of the living dead okay the original or the remake oh the original okay that, that's one that's still to this day like when i saw that i was like okay i get where every other zombie movie comes from 
Well, yeah, I mean, had, essentially, there are other movies with maybe the, you know, zombie title connected. But in terms of the the flesh eating, rising from the dead, I, it, ooh, it, it was seminal. Yeah, that was, yeah. So, but that was, that was very much like seeing, you know, <laughs> like if you see a, um, a kid and then seeing their parents and going like, oh yeah, they, I see the resemblance. You know what I mean? It was very much that sort of effect okay here let me let me ask you this i'll 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 focus it a little more for you since okay, we straight off too much okay since we've been talking about vampires what yeah. is what is a book and what is a movie that you would recommend for someone wanting to check out the vampire trope okay <laughs> so for the book i think if i if it was somebody who had no intro to vampires before uh, it's not going to be Dracula. I'm sure that's what everyone's probably thinking, but I am legend. Okay. Um, that was a great book. Um, very different from the movie. I thought at least anyway, <clears throat> but it's very, very much a vampire book. And, and yeah, I've actually been meaning to reread that one. And Richard is- Matheson, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't uh, read it actually. I've seen the movie. Um, and I actually, I, I do enjoy the movie, but I do, I, I own the book, but I just haven't read it yet. So I, I, I don't want to use the word disappointed, but I guess when I, when I watched the movie, I guess I was surprised at how, I mean, this happens, right? Like movies stray from their subject matter a little bit and it didn't a lot, but it was, I don't know. The movie makes it seem a little more like they're sort of. It's less vampire. Oh yeah, no, they're they're definitely more like something like zombies. Yeah. But not quite. Yeah. But no, in, in in the book, they're very, very much vampires. It's one man left alone in a world oh, full of vampires. Good to know. Okay. And then for a movie, I would probably ooh, it might be a tie between <laughs> ties are okay. Ties are okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh yeah. 30 Days of Night and John Carpenter's Vampires. Okay. All right. I ha I as much as I love John Carpenter, some of his newer movies I haven't seen yet, and I haven't seen Vampire. So I will I will check that out. That has sort of I've forgotten about it. Um, but Thirty Days of Night, I did see that. I've seen that a few times, and yeah. that is <laughs> it's another cold one, man. I know, I know, I know. It's I, <laughs> I'm only just now starting to realize this. So but I mean, it makes is, sense, you know. Right if you hate winter so much and the cold, I mean, you know, that, that's, that's, that particular atmosphere is going to make any horror that you read or watch even that much more unsettling. But you'd think that that would mean that I would shy completely away from it rather than do this to myself time and again, because apparently that's just what I'm doing. So why am I a subliminal sadist here? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, but yeah, it is another cold one for sure. But it's, it's, that's a, that was one that I went, like, I, I remember watching and I only later watched, or I, I only later read the, uh, the graphic novel. But uh, when I watched, it was kind of around the time that, um, sorry to anybody who's a fan here, but when Twilight was kind of a big thing. And I was like, thank you. Thank you for like, you know, if you like Twilight, that's fine. But, you know, it was not something that I felt was <laughs> really doing much of a credit to vampires at large. And then this was very much the polar opposite. Mm, no yeah. 
yeah. but it was, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's brutal. It's bloody. It's, uh, these are, these are, these are bad dudes, you know? Yeah. 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 All right. Well, Marcus Hawk, it has been real. This has been really fun. Just jumping all across the horror board, but we're going to wrap up here. But before we do, where can people find you and your work? They can find me on, (laughs) I was trying to think of something clever there. Uh, No, they can find, (laughs) clearly I failed after an hour and however long it's been here, but there you go. Uh, I'm on Instagram at just plain old Marcus Hawk, which I just want to say, I love anybody who that's their handle. I love that. You, me, Haley Newland, you know, I, <laughs> I, when I have to remember what somebody's handle is and like, oh yeah, that's what it is for so-and-so. Yeah. It gets trickier, but yeah, just plain old Marcus Hawk. Um, my books are, are, well, my one book and then a short story and the anthologies that I'm I have work in are all on Amazon. You can find them either under Marcus Hawk or Blood Rights Horror. And uh, I've got a website. Once again, real simple, www.marcushawk.com. Check it out. All right. Well, Marcus, I appreciate you having the bravery to enter into the gloom with me. Uh-huh. And um, I am really looking forward to Dead of Night. I had a lot of fun and I hope you did too. So yeah. I'll catch you yeah, later, bro. Thank you for, for having me. This was, this was a joy. Really. Truly. We hope this episode haunts your nightmares. It's been an honor to scare you. Be sure to subscribe and also follow Into the Gloom podcast on Instagram for news on upcoming offerings. Until we meet again, remember to leave a light on.